Listeners, you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We're your hosts, Sam Collier and Sarah Cho. Today's guest on the show is Karidat Savich. Karidat received a 2012 Obie for Lifetime Achievement. Her work as a playwright, translator, lyricist, and essayist has been seen in print, live, and digital stages at diverse venues across the U.S. and abroad. Key plays in her extensive repertoire include 12 Ophelias, Iphigenia Crashlands Falls on the Neon Shell That Once Was Her Heart, Red Bike, and The House of Spirits. Theatrical premieres in 2021 include The Book of Magdalene and Theater, A Love Story. Welcome to the show. Hello there. Hello. We're so excited to have you on Beckett's Babies. Um, So, yay. (laughs) So, Karidad, one of the questions we love to start with, um, since we're, let's say we have babies in our title, (laughs) is um, what was your life like before theater? Or what's your earliest memory from when you were a small person? Uh, Non-theater related. It can be, but we just want to know what your first memory is. Okay, cool. Um, Gosh, I would have to say maybe it's not the earliest memory, but it's around there. Um, When I lived in New Jersey as a child, um, I just remember the walk to school. Mm. Um, I would walk from our apartment to, you know, many miles, many miles across, (laughs) across, (laughs) yes, both ways, uh, through neighborhoods, through over a bridge, like a very extensive walk in all kinds of weather. Um, And uh, other students uh, uh, who are in my class also walked to to school. Um, And I just... I just think about it now because it was a, such a long walk. I mean, it was just like, you know, crazy long and it seems like perfectly normal. Um, but I also like got a sense of the, the different kind of neighborhoods. Uh, and yeah. also um, I think I remember the bridge specifically because there was like a little creek and, you know, you'd hear the little animals <laughs> underneath. And uh, so there was this connection to nature before going to, you know, first grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really loved that. That's great. Um, and what I didn't love was walking in the snow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you have siblings or were you always walking by yourself? No, I'm an only. You're an only child. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It it kind of feels like that experience is from another era because I don't think very many parents let their first graders walk so far to school alone anymore. It's like I know it's just a an experience that has gone by the wayside. Yeah, and there were other there were other you know there were other children sort of on the same path, so we'd always find each other, you know, and. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, I I can't imagine doing that now, actually. So, how do you think that experience of walking through all those different neighborhoods and um, seeing different people and being so independent so young? Did you feel like that shaped who you are as a person or as an artist? Uh, I think so. I mean, you know, so many things go into being an artist. And of course, everything that you've gone through in your life impacts it as well as, you know, what people have told you, you know, the stories people tell you, all of that, you know, so, but yeah, I think this notion of seeing other places uh, has always ignited my imagination, obviously. And we did a lot of cross-country trips when I was a kid, so mm. um, so I think seeing kind of seeing and hearing, I would say, like hearing a lot of different, you know, the different sounds of the U.S., you know, and um, 
uh, and being mystified by by it, but also enchanted by it, I think was something that stayed with me. And I think even before I knew that I wanted to be a writer, uh, I think that was very much uh, on my mind of like, the curiosity about people, you know, people and sounds and places. Um, and of course, when I when I decided I'd be a writer somewhere in my mind, uh, then it was like, ha, I can use this, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which as writers we do, right? Yeah, that's great. Well, tell us a little bit about your journey into theater from that, um, from that early age of walking to school, and then how did you get into writing or specifically theater? Sure. Uh, I mean, I was always writing. I was just one of those kids that was always like writing little stories, and um, so attracted to language, literature, uh, invention, uh, and aspects of performance. I studied piano and guitar and voice uh, as a child, and so I think that that was already kind of something. The world of the performing arts was something I was interested in, um, mm-hmm. but writing for the th- Writing for theater was certainly not on my docket, like not even close. But um, when I was in junior high and I was living in Miami, Florida, um, my English teacher uh, said I should write plays. So this was kind of like a challenge, I think, uh, but mostly because a lot of my short stories had tons of dialogue in them. Mm. And so I think she saw something, obviously, that I didn't see. Like, and and theater for me was like, you know, nothing against Miami, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, not exactly the hippest theater town. Uh, and you know, so so you know, my exposure to like live theater was maybe you know a touring production of a musical or. Um, you know, going to church or, you know, like yeah. aspects of theater or doing a school play, you know, but I never thought about it as being something that a person did. Um, like that somebody was behind it, you know, to like, that mm-hmm. the writer is like somebody that's sort of architect of the experience. And then, but when she said that, I think because I, I wanted to get an A in the class <laughs> and also I really wanted her approval. Um, and so I was like, aha, why is she saying this to me? So I was like, I'll write a play, you know? So I just got it into my head that I was going to write a play um, because I love this challenge and no one had ever said that to me before. And so I went to my local library, which is a very good library in Hialeah, Florida. And I asked the librarian where the plays were. And uh, she said, oh, you know, go to the third floor. And I was like, great, awesome. And so off I go. And I I really thought that it was going to be, you know, a shelf or two. Or, you know, I really had no idea. Um, and for some reason, and I'm not really sure who was the person ordering books for this library. but. Um, they had a whole floor of like plays wow. and recordings and you name it, they had it. And uh, so it was like, so I, I remember going up to the third floor and being absolutely daunted. It wasn't just a little shelf. It was like stacks and stacks and stacks and, you know, tons of recordings. And in the days of microfiche, there was like microfiche articles that you can look up with like theater reviews. And I mean, it was just like a treasure trove and so I love challenges. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'll read some plays. I'll read some plays. You know, I'll read, I'll try to read as many of them as I can. I obviously didn't know that, I didn't think that I could read all of them that were on the shelves, but I felt if I gave myself a task, it wouldn't be so daunting. So I told myself I would read 10 plays a week so I could figure out what this play thing was. Um, and I did, I just like checked out like whatever, you know, I, I was pretty indiscriminate, you know, I didn't go chronological mm-hmm. on the stacks, you know, I just would pick something from one shelf and pick something from another. Um, but I would do like 10, 10 plays a week 
Uh, wow, that's amazing. And so how old were you at this time? I was in junior high, so my husband must have been like 12 or 13. Reading 10 plays a week. 10 plays a week. And taking notes, you know, so. And because I wanted to figure out what this play thing was, if I was going to write a play, I needed to figure out what it was. And so, yeah, I just took tons of notes, read a bunch of stuff. uh, And then, you know, in that process of reading, started to gravitate toward certain writers that I was, you know, it was like, oh, this person, I like their work. What else have they written? You know, so that process started to happen. And, you know, then you start reading the body of work of somebody, right? You know, so Tennessee Williams or Euripides or uh, David Rabe or Lillian Hellman or, you know, and so it's just like, gathering it was sort of like a process of gathering and in that and then through that process i you know i was trying to empower myself basically uh and learn about this form and i think that that i just became really thrilled by the expansiveness of theater you know it's just like no two plays look the same uh the writers didn't approach them the same ways like it was just like oh you can do anything this is like awesome um and then I was like, well, time to write my play. And so I just squirreled myself away, you know, in my room and, you know, started doing that thing, which is like playing with characters and playing with situations. And and I wrote a play, my first play. It's like 40 pages, which is a big for a first play. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I mean, it's, and I felt, I remember the feeling being, thrilling like I loved not knowing what was going to happen next you know and like oh I wonder what my characters are going to do and what are they saying and and then (laughs) you know like it's like great and then and then I I finished it and had that great sense of like accomplishment that writers feel when they finish something and I put it in a drawer and I didn't look at it for two weeks Uh, and then two weeks later I I got the courage to to look at it and kind of read it to myself because I hadn't really done that. Um, and I just thought it was dreadful. It was so bad. And <laughs> it was bad. You know, it wasn't... I think I, we all know that feeling. <laughs> we do know that feeling. I mean, I, I did have that weird thing of like, I will write the great play. You know, like, I mean, right, it's silly, right, right. right? You know, and so so it wasn't like a great play. And... Um, and I was really disappointed, and I, but I wasn't completely disappointed. I mean, I, I felt like what I told myself was maybe my teacher's wrong. What she thinks is that I should study acting. So I, so I asked my mom if I could take some acting classes also at the local park, uh, like a summer session. Yeah, and I, and I really wanted to know what it was like to be inside like from an actor's mm-hmm. perspective, what was what was it like to face text and be inside text? And so I think that's when I started to really learn stuff. Um, and I, you know, and that was kind of the bug. The bug was sort of there. And uh, but I, but I, I, the writing was very secretive after mm-hmm. that. Uh, and then in high school, I kind of wrote a couple of things, and uh, and then wrote another another long play long for me at the time and you know and started to feel like it was maybe viable but it really wasn't until my second year of undergrad that I that I kind of realized oh this is what I want to do um it took a while well I just find this so amazing because so many people that we've interviewed will talk about you know they saw the same kind of play growing up and then they got to college and realized a play could be anything and tried to write their own play. And I feel like you had that experience when you were in junior high and you just did this incredible intensive study for yourself of exploring all these different plays and and then trying acting and trying your hand at writing your own play that a lot of people don't get to until college or later. So um, I just find that so inspiring. So what changed for you 
in your second year of college that um, that felt different? About oh, it was really simple. Yeah, yeah, it was super simple. I, I mean, I there was an ad in backstage that said uh, it was a playwriting contest, and it said um, write a play where fifty percent of the roles are for women. Mm. Uh, it had a deadline of like send it by, you know, I was like September for some October or something. I don't know. It was like really. It was during the school year, so it was like, and and I looked at that ad, and I was like, I'll write a play. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just loved it, you know, I love the idea. And I was like, and so in my spare time, I cranked out a play and put it in an envelope in the days of doing that, uh, put it in an envelope and sent it to this contest, which was at Goucher College in Baltimore, Maryland. And really, I mean, I did the thing that no writer should do. You know, I, I, it was my first draft and I just sent it in and uh, which is like crazy land. Um, and then I got a call uh, from Goucher College saying, you've won this contest. Wow. And I, I think they, first of all, I don't think they realized that I was a student because um, this was like a national contest for writers. Um, wow. And and I was like, well, I'm in college, so, because they were like, oh, can you come to the rehearsals? And I was like, no, I can't. I'm in school. I can't do that. Um, but I'll go for opening or whatever. Um, and so that experience of seeing my play, like traveling, being treated well. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like the fancy hotel, you know, all that stuff. Um which I thought was what always happened. Little did I know. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then seeing the play and I was like, Oh, this is awesome. And I yeah. think I was going through this experience already as a kind of budding actor, maybe uh, of being really dissatisfied with acting um, because you can't do all the things you have to sort of be a part of the thing. Mm. And, and I kept wanting to like do everything. And so, and then I was like, Oh, this is even better. Like I create the thing and then other people get to play and I can walk away and it's still there, you know? And so that mm. was tremendously exciting. And then really from that moment on, I was like obsessed, you know, I was just like playwriting, playwriting. I have to get an MFA. I mean, I got into my head. I had to get an MFA. Um, so I spent my last two years of college kind of, you know, nonstop thinking about playwriting and re reading, you know, reading more things and reading more writers and, um, and their plays and just steeping myself in it all. Um, and then applied to a bunch of schools uh, for my MFA right out of undergrad. Mm -hmm. And so got into UCSD. So, yeah. Amazing. So I'm so curious, what was that play? What was the story you were telling in the play that won that contest? And what kinds of stories were you writing about at this time? Oh, heavens. Uh, this play was a play called Waterfall. It's a play that's set next to a toxic landfill. So my mm. interest in environmental yeah. issues was there at the beginning. Um and it was a, it was like a dysfunctional family play. I mean, remember those? Uh, so dysfunctional <laughs> family play um, to the max, very, very uh, like a, a group of siblings, uh, a male sibling, like a male sibling and a, two female siblings in a house with, you know, going through a very tortured relationship where the male sibling was very controlling and so a lot of the play was about power games uh amongst them uh very pinter so you know because i love pinter so i i, I was like doing my best pinter um <laughs> and uh yeah and but also like funny like you know sort of a little bit of screwball comedy and um but very much in that mode of the dysfunctional play sort of disturbing disturbing dysfunctional family comedy dark comedy um, which is not a territory that I've worked in since, 
which is sort of interesting. Although it does strike me that one of the things I've noticed in your work is that um, kind of the external landscape and environment is reflected in the um, like the internal lives of the characters and also the personal relationships of the characters. Um, so I just think that's really interesting that it, it's like this toxic environment and also a toxic family in this play. Yes. <laughs> yes, this is true. And it's also true of a lot of my work. And yeah, yeah. I also think that's so, so theater, right? It's so like, you're dealing with the symbol of landscape that then becomes a mirror, uh, a useful mirror, because everything in theater is a symbol. So a useful mirror of what's happening, if you're writing characters of what's happening with your characters. So um, one of the plays of yours that we've talked about a lot is Red Bike. Sarah introduced me to this play. Sarah, do you want to say a little bit about like when you first read Red Bike. Oh, yeah. Um, what you were thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so back in September, I <laughs> uh, maybe just like yourself as a young Cuddy dad, uh, I was like wanting to read as many plays as I can, one play a day in the month of September. And Red Bike was one of the recommendations I got online. Um, and I read it and it just resonant resonated with me like at the core because um it just like took me back like when I was young um I lived in a single parent home in LA we were on food stamps like I remember this period of my life where we were just like really struggling and having these thoughts as a young child like dreaming of like there's got to be something outside of this right (laughs) you know and I felt like red bike just like the voices of these characters and um really kind of captured this time like and and especially during this time during the pandemic where we're seeing like food shortages right during that and people are struggling and stuff and I just feel like it really captured a moment of my my personal life and what's going on and just like resonated with me that way and so Mm. um red bike just like it's it's so simple. I can't. I don't want to say simple, but taking this object and imbuing with all these like dreams and ideas and like it it just mm. it felt so symbolic in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, and I just remember you were like, Sam, you got to read this play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one thing we were wondering is because the I think the version we read is for two actors and. Um, we were wondering if there's a version for one actor and also just what the origin story of this play is. Sure. Uh, there's a version for one actor. It was written, it was written as a solo piece. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then I divided it. Uh, I did a two actor score when I had a workshop of it in London. Uh, and then, and then there's also a three actor version and a four actor version. Oh, wow. Um, and then after that, I was like, you know, you can have more people, but I'm not going to score each version because it's like, you know, painstaking to have to go yeah. through the play and kind of create all these different versions. Uh, after a while, I'm like, I love this play, but, you know, I don't want to look at it like 24-7. So, um, yeah, the origin. I mean, I uh, a friend of mine who is a dramaturg, we were talking about, not unlike some of your questions earlier, we were talking about, memorable experiences at the theater or, you know, stuff that, stuff that really impacted you. And, and my friend, we were talking about short plays. Um, Mm. And I think, yeah. And she said, one of the best things I've seen was this piece at a kind of scratch night open mic where somebody did like a three minute play and it was basically about their childhood and about, you know, aspirations and stuff like that. And I was like, Oh, and she said I was weeping and I was like, Oh, Mm. and I was like, "Hmm." and so, so that, that was kind of like tucked in the back of my mind. Uh, And then I remember 
feeling like, okay, I'd like to do that. Mm. First of all, I'd never written a child at the center of a story before. So I wanted that challenge. Um, I also, I was going through, I think at this time, I was going through like a series of plays where I was interested in the idea of the photographic. So thinking of plays as photographs. And so, and specifically of like a kind of photographs of objects or a photograph of a house or photograph, you know, like things are really simple, mm-hmm. um, but not so simple. Uh, and, and I was like, oh, I want to make like a photograph of something. And, and then the image of the bike happened really quickly because for many reasons, I mean, A, I, I love, I love bikes and, and I also thought it's such a primal thing. Like even if you didn't have a bike as a kid, there's sort of that idea of the bike and that idea of travel and freedom and being your own, being empowered, you know, um, is really important. And it also gets you outside of your world, uh, immediate world. Uh, but also you see it in a different way. And so, and then I was also thinking a lot about what are children, what are the lessons that children are learning in the United States mm. uh, at the moment, which I worry about immensely, um, <laughs> about life and yeah, you know, people and uh, kindness and intolerance and tolerance and all these things. So, and I was like, oh, I'm worried. <laughs> I'm worried about the next yeah. generation, even though, mm. you know, everybody's like, the next generation, they're the future. And it's like, but they're learning like really awful things right now. So, so I was like, I wanted to put a child at the center that could have agency. Uh, you know, a lot of my work is about class. So specifically about the working class. So I knew I wanted to have a working class child. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then, you know, children don't get to vote, but all the laws mm-hmm. affect them. So right. I wanted, I wanted also the narrative center to be in a kind of space of perhaps political awakening for this child on this trip uh, that they take one day up a hill and down a hill. Uh, and so I wanted to keep that, that feeling of, the audience being at one with the bike throughout the play, but also allowing for what does happen when you're on a bike, which is, um, you know, your mind goes in a thousand different directions and you think about your past and you think about your future, you know, and I sort of, so I wanted to keep that, the motor of that alive in the play. And yeah. And I also wanted to make something joyful uh, I've, I've written a lot of dark, dark plays and I was mm. feeling a great need to write something that even though it's dealing with pretty tough stuff that would have a sense of joy and brio and kind of lightness about it. Yeah, um, no, it does. It, it does have that feeling of just, mm-hmm. it's so exciting to read. <laughs> yay, yay. Yeah. And I, and I just, and I also wanted something that felt like it was in one go, you know, I thought, wouldn't it be fun to kind of be in the audience and feel like you're just like, hang, here we go. Let's hang onto the handlebars <laughs> and let's, let's, woo, off we go. You know, so that sense of relentlessness is something I wanted to play with. And um, yeah, and the play just took over. It was like really present and very clear for me in the writing process. And, um, you know, it made me happy while I was writing it. So I think some of that translates to how it manifests on the page. Yeah, definitely. And it and you feel that acceleration uh when the kid is kind of losing control going downhill and that I think mm. that works so it's so satisfying on a dramatic level um because you feel like the play is picking up speed in the same way that the bike is. Um So I want to return to, you were talking about how a lot of your work explores environmental themes and themes of class. And um, I'm wondering how your consideration of those themes has changed over your career or um, 
do you do you have are you asking different questions now than you were um in your early plays or um yeah I'm just wondering what has that evolution looked like for you sure uh you know it's weird when I when I was in grad school uh I wrote all sorts of things um and I was starting to write kind of what I call carnivalesque kind of plays uh plays with like video and puppets and <laughs> um you know people walking out of walls and uh kind of surreal stuff mm-hmm. and and then when I trained with Irene Fortnes my plays became very interior and they were all set in rooms and people fighting each other uh which I didn't know I would write um but all of those plays that I wrote when I was working with Irene were plays directly about class, Um, which I didn't, you know, I guess I'd hadn't until that point. I didn't, I mean, it's weird. Like, of course I knew that you could do that in plays, but I, but I felt like maybe I wasn't allowed or something, or Mm. I wasn't giving myself permission to write about class uh, in that way. And then, so after I wrote those plays, uh, under Irene's mentorship, I wrote a series of plays that were plays with songs and, you know, going back to some of the ideas of the carnivalesque, but through this kind of lens of class. That led to a series of plays that are that are not that at all, <laughs> uh, but that have to do with mediation, which, of course, is a big part of my work. Um, and I wrote like a about a 10 or 12 plays that are all about upper they're sort of upper class plays which is very rare for mm. me but upper class plays kind of decadent plays so plays about decadence um and kind of they're very cruel plays uh and then i wrote those 12 plays or whatever and i was like you know i uh, i'm tired of doing that <laughs> and i want to go back to earlier concerns so i think what happened is that i that through a certain phase of my writing, I sort of returned. So I kind of came back to the idea of mm-hmm. writing about the working class and also feeling like the working class voice and voices still seem, I don't know, weirdly radical to write about. Um, and so and so that became this central, has become kind of a central concern of mine along with, you know, my reconfigurations of Shakespeare and my reconfigurations of the ancient Greeks and uh, stuff like that and the big adaptations of novels. But but the, the strong sort of, I think what's happened is my work has gotten more political as it's moved forward, I would say that. I mean, it's kind of more aggressively uh, speaking truth to power in a way that's more awake uh, to the world. And I think that, which wasn't as true early on. I think early on I was like, I wouldn't say navel gazing, but I think that that I think there is that part when you're an early writer sometimes where you're like obsessed with your own stuff, you know, and yeah. um, <laughs> you know you just are <laughs> right, and yeah. so and then you like have to deal with all of that, and so and then I wrote a bunch of stuff, you know, I wrote tons and tons of plays, and so so I came out the other side of that going, well, I still have the stuff that I'm dealing with, which you know, as writers, we will we always will be that's sort of a central tenant, but. I now want to take on the world, you know? And so I think that that making that turn in my writing meant that, yeah, I would, I wanted to play in a different way. And I think that the environmental issues of environmental racism and, uh, ecological damage, uh, human made ecological damage, just started to be at the forefront of my writing, maybe around the year 2010, 2011, um, started to really kind of take focus. And so, and that's, you know, and now that's like a, it's not like all the plays are about that, but I feel like in a way they are. (laughs) Um, And it's also because of the times we're living in. I mean, we are in steeped in climate change. And I think that it's almost silly to think that you're not, 
you're not writing about climate change when you are. I mean, you're, that is the backdrop of the world that we're in. So I, I feel like even writers that ignore that that's happening, they must know that that's what they're writing, that that's, what right. the, that's what's like in the, in the atmosphere, you know? So mm. I think you can't sort of look away from it. And I think for me, it's just looking at how it affects, I mean, I'm always interested in how it affects the people that have, lesser of, of are of lesser means, you know, like the people that are being shafted on a daily basis by um, mm. greed and power and more greed and more power. And I feel like, you know, un until I get tired of that, which I don't think I will be anytime soon, <laughs> uh, that's going to be the focus. You know what I mean? Because I still feel like um, the people that have uh, tons of, access and are in the world of greed and power they they own they basically own the narrative right and right. so and so what i'm trying to do is kind of take the narrative away from them yeah that well that seems to me like the crux of what is so radical about it is that you're reimagining the narrative or you're creating a new offering a new narrative um, okay, so then the follow-up question would be, given what's happened over the last 18 months in the world of theater um, and all these issues of, um, you know, the environment and class and race and global health, um, has has the pandemic changed the way you think about theater um, or your goals for what you want to do in your plays at all? Yeah, I've been writing a lot. So I know that when the, when the pandemic hit, when the sort of lockdown, first lockdown happened uh, in 2020, I, I was in the middle of pre-production on three shows and, uh, three of them were premieres and the others were area premieres and I had another show in a workshop, you know, like, so suddenly everything ground to a halt and, um, you know, and of course this, the initial devastation around all of that and feeling like, oh, I spent like, you know, each of those plays, as you well know, as writers, you spend years of your life <laughs> trying to yeah. make something happen and then it happens and it's like for it to not happen is like, what? Yeah. Uh, so I was going through a lot, but, um, but I did have, I did, I think what maybe saved me a little bit was that I had two deadlines that, that I still needed to turn in. I had two plays that I needed to write that were like adaptations. And so I was like, well, I'm, I'll keep myself busy, you know, in a way, like I was just, well, I have to turn it in. I signed a contract, I, you know, regardless of the pandemic, I still have to do this work. So I wrote those adaptations and then, um, where there are novels. And so turn them in. And then I was like, okay, well, game on. I can write whatever, <laughs> whatever I want. And, and I feel like one of the things that happened is like, which you may be, I'm feeling less so now, ironically, but last year I was like, well, theater's over, then game on. Let's just make whatever, you know, let's just make whatever our heart desires, you know? So I felt like an immense freedom uh, because I feel like sometimes being a writer in this business, you're thinking about things that have nothing to do with writing, but that have that impact your writing. Like, will people like it? What is the market? How does this fit into the market? Like, like you know, mm. is this, you know, how many characters does it have? And, uh, um, does it look like a play? You know, all these like weird things that get into your head. And so I was like, well, none of that matters. So I'm just going to write whatever I want. And, um, and so I've just been making a ton of stuff. Uh, the one thing that sort of stayed a constant was that uh, my play theater, a love story uh, at no theater in Cincinnati, they, which was going to premiere this year and it did. Um, they said last year, we're not stopping. We're going to have a season. We're going to start digital. We're going to do digital outdoor and then a combination of like some sort of hybrid thing with your play. Wow. And so, which was like amazing of them. They're a small company. They have a tiny budget, but they're really inventive. And so I had like 
we had more time in a way. Like, you know, we, we suddenly was like, well, there's nothing going on. Let's, t- let's chat about what, how we can do this. Um, and with that piece, I mean, ironically, Theater of Love Story is sort of my, I wrote that play as a kind of saying goodbye to theater. So, and here we are sort of making it during this time. And, um, but I, but I found myself kind of being heartened by that show had three directors and a dance company and we were all kind of collaborating. Um, and so being in collaboration during this time was like really nourishing right? Because just having mm-hmm. good, good creative yeah. conversations with smart people is always exciting. Um, and so that sort of kept me going, I think. And then uh, the plays that I've been writing during this time, uh, they're getting more distilled. I mean, that's what I would say. They're sort of getting more... Hmm. Well, it's interesting. It feels like, well, if time is running out, on many levels, you know, code red for humanity, uh, with climate change, et cetera, then, then I, I better make them as strong as possible, but also I kind of distill the, the themes, uh, as much as possible. And so, so I think that what's happened in the series of plays that I've been making in the last year and a half, they've all kind of are starting to get more and more kind of zeroing in on uh, a lot of it about themes of power and and how power is abused, obviously, in the world. And, um, and but also thinking about language and using language in a different way on the page and stripping, stripping everything down. I've been really interested in kind of making things. I mean, my work is spare anyway, but really kind of making it super spare so that every word counts and doing that really hard thing um, in writing, which, which has to do with like understanding that less is more. Uh, and a, there's a part of me as a writer that's interested in more is more. And yeah. so, <laughs> and so negotiating that has been really exciting from a writing perspective and feeling like, okay, how can I take those impulses in me as a writer, which want to kind of be excessive purposefully, but also strip it down. So, so I've been dealing with a lot of that and also, um, yeah, writing, I mean, the plays have gotten more, maybe more existential, you know, they've gotten more philosophical and uh, meditative, I think, because Mm -hmm. of the times we're in, you know, and uh, so thinking like about hard things in the world and how to face them and, and, and of course, how to put it in motion in, in kind of a play form, which, you know, you're you're organizing chaos when you're writing a play. So kind of figuring out, okay, what's the order that I want to present? And what's ultimately, what's the engagement with the audience that I want to have? Um, and then, of course, thinking about digital audiences as well as live audiences and um, and those kind of those kind of meeting points and encounters, which I think are really exciting. Um, so yeah, and and then I had to look the luck. I mean, true like fluke, total fluke, which is uh, I wrote a play called The Book of Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Uh, really at, near the top of lockdown, just for myself. I mean, just for fun. Uh, and then I sent it to Main Street Theater in Houston, also on a on a whim. Like I I don't know what possessed <laughs> me. You know, I mean, they'd done my work before, but hadn't in many years and. But suddenly I was like, I reached out to them. I just had a hunch for whatever reason. I was like, hey, I'm working on stuff. Do you want to see stuff? And they're like, sure. And 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 I sent Book of Magdalene. And then I got a call from their tissue director saying, we want to do it. And we want to do it now. Wow. It was crazy oh bananas. Craziness. You know, so suddenly... Like I was in, like I was in production, you know, production with a play I just written, you know, which rarely happens, right? Like this is such a crazy, fluky thing, you know. Um, but you know, bless them at Main Street Theater in Houston for taking the chance so and cool. deciding that they wanted to do it, and they really wanted to do it during the pandemic, and they really wanted to make a show happen. <laughs> you know, all these things wow. against mm-hmm. all odds, and um, yeah, so they they did it. 
they shot it on their stage. They fully designed, you know, all the works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was filmed, you know, as they sort of filmed it uh, and then kind of edited that. Uh, and that became the, the production, as it were. Um, but yeah, that was like so, ra- like so random. Like, uh, and then around the same time, Unicorn Theater in Kansas City called me and said they wanted to do Red Bike uh, as a green screen production. Um, and it's so funny because, oh, and also they wanted to do the solo version, which had never been done. Uh, so I was like, yes, finally, the solo version of Red Bike. <laughs> you know, I've just been dreaming about it. Um, and man, I mean, it was just like so... I'm just so proud. I mean, I think the theaters that have just been making kind of and the, you know, theaters and people that have just been like making stuff against the odds. Mm. I just, you know, hats off to everyone. You know what I mean? Because it's, this is like the hardest time to do stuff. You're trying to find money where there's no money. Um, You're working with, you know, very little resources, you know, and, and I just think it's kind of astonishing and, really beautiful you know so i feel like it's been a a kind of crazy blessed journey in the last 18 months and yet now i'm feeling less hopeful (laughs) i feel i feel like now that like people are like we're back um whatever that means i just feel like the i feel like the conversation has gotten more narrow yeah and more I mean, I'm just more depressed. I mean, to be honest, I feel that feeling of like when, when it was all ashes and we were all together in the ashes, I was like, okay, cool. Let's make stuff uh, if we can. Um, and now when like the walls are coming back and the, you know, the buildings and the this, that and the other, I just feel it's all very conservative and um, it's the same yeah. conversations and there's so much inertia it's really hard to change it kind of makes me think of the process of creating a play where when you're dreaming up the thing (laughs) there's so much possibility and then once you start dealing with the physical space and the physical you know bodies on stage and set pieces you're like oh I'm actually really constrained (laughs) by what I can do um and but I, I feel the same way, and I really I wish there were more. Um, I wish all the things we were dreaming up, like twelve months ago, mm. were more accessible, or people's imaginations were bigger at this moment. Yeah, and you know the retrenchment is so hard right now. It's so like. No, we yeah. will only do it this way, and you know, and it's just like, first of all, like in climate change, you can't do everything the way you've done it before. Like you know, right. just the means of production has to change. Um, there's also access points, price points in terms of tickets. There's so many things you have to be thinking about, um, and I just feel like this return to like building based you know, same old, same old, you know, three weeks to do the thing. And then somebody comes in and designs this, you know, like this very boring, um, quote system that has been set up, uh, is just robbing, I think a lot of us, uh, in the field of the immense opportunity mm-hmm. to really just change the paradigm completely, which I think mm-hmm. needs to happen, you know? And so, uh, I feel the frustration I'm feeling right now is that I just see all the, you know, the gates are coming back up and, um, and I'm glad that, you know, people are honoring commitments to artists, you know, whose work got canceled. And so they're putting it on and all that stuff. I mean, that's lovely, but I also think there's like a tremendous seems to be for, for a field where our job is the job of the imagination, yeah. a, a real lack of imagination, um, is occurring and I I find that immensely frustrating. Well, we're going to get to some fun questions, but, (laughs) but given, given all that you've just said, I'm curious what your advice would be to playwrights who are just starting out. We have some listeners who are at the really very beginning of their career, their life in theater. So what would you tell them? It's not going to happen overnight. 
the overnight story happens rarely. Uh, so stick to it. Have perseverance. Believe in yourself. This this is a really hard business, and it's gonna it's gonna ask you to not believe in yourself all the time. So I think that instilling that kind of like ferocious, sometimes arrogant uh, belief that yes, I can do this, and yes, it's brilliant, and yes, you know, I mean, you have to have that, right? And of course, I'll also do the work, right? You can't just keep saying you're brilliant and not do anything, right? So uh, nose to the grindstone, have a daily practice. Uh, commit to it. Um, even if not everything you write is going to be great, like that's part of the job is also learning from failure, you know. And I think if you don't give yourself the space to fail, you're in big trouble. So build a body of work. Uh, it's really important, you know. I, I um, there was a dramaturg that I met in Scotland many years ago, and I was on a uh, workshop, doing a workshop of a play, and. I was feeling all, you know, sort of high and mighty about myself. And uh, I have a workshop in Scotland, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, um, and the dramaturg, a wonderful person, uh, said to me, well, really, until you write 10 plays, you really don't know what you're doing. And I kind of, I just wow. remember that moment I was shaking in my boot. You know, I was just like, what? <laughs> like, you know. Wow. And um, she was absolutely right. You know, it's like until you have, you have to run through a bunch of plays. You have to sort of build stuff. And, you know, yeah. she said 10 because after 10, you really start to discover really who you are. Uh, before that, you're just kind of figuring stuff out, you know. And, and of course, if you study people's bodies of work, the lucky writers that have been able to build, you know, extensive bodies of work, you see that, right? You see kind of like right. the early stuff and then you see the stuff where they finally hit their stride and like, you know, and so I was like, all right. So I, I think that this sense of nose to the grindstone also has to do with the fact that just like being, you know, a cabinet maker or, you know, an architect or whatever field you're in, put in the work, put in the time. It's not going to be glamorous, um, maybe occasionally. Uh, and, you know, occasionally it will be glamorous and that's lovely and enjoy the ride when that happens. But really, you know, this is a career of ebb and flow. Uh, and there are going to be times where there's no work, where nobody's knocking on your door and you have to like go, you know, it's like going back to the writing table and going, I believe in myself. This will happen. And you have to have that. If you don't have that, you're doomed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We have a couple of questions before we move on to glistens. Um, this is a fun question we like to ask our playwrights. Uh, name three playwrights, living or dead, that you would invite to a dinner party. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> dinner party. Um, oh, my heavens. Well, I'll, I'll name people that are, that are around at the moment. Uh, this would be like a really... Who knows? This would be an interesting dinner party. And uh, Will Arbery, mm. Alicia Harris, mm. and Virginia Grice. Such think, good choices. I think those three at a dinner party would be fascinating. <laughs> Can you say a little bit about what excites you about their work? Sure, yeah. Uh, Will, you know, famous for Heroes of the Fourth Turning and Plano. Um, just love his belief in his characters, kind of honesty about his writing. Um, he goes to the map for his characters, which I really appreciate. There's something sort of, this is not a pejorative. I mean, but there's something, something old fashioned about it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm. it really is like, I'm really invested in character. I really will commit to the moment to moment work and the writing that feels like, like old skills, right? You know, um, mm -hmm. and he's bringing them in a new way. Uh, there's also a tenderness in his writing, which I find really fascinating. And of course, he, he often writes about wrestling with his own uh, spiritual faith and through, through the lens of his characters. Uh, Alicia Harris, because she's awesome uh, and a poet, you know, just a poet. And I think someone who writes from a place of incredible passion and urgency 
uh, formally really exciting. Uh, I'm, o- I'm always curious to see what Alicia will make next. Um, so I can't wait for that next and next play to happen. Yeah. Um, and also there's a, there's a uh, playfulness to Alicia's mm-hmm. work, which I think is exciting. Though I don't, I don't think people talk about it very much, but I think it's very playful. Um, and Virginia, Virginia is just a badass, you know, like she just fearless, totally committed to art and community, to a vision that is uh, about honoring um her ancestors, her people, her many peoples, <laughs> her many communities. Um, the writing is clear as a bell, uh, passionate, hard one, you know, sort of like it's been, she's been through a lot and the writing has been through a lot. You can just feel the kind of lived experience in her work in a beautiful way. Um, yeah, and I, and I'm she inspires me. Cool. So it's like, you know, I think she inspires me. Yeah. Awesome. Uh all right, so before before we move on to glistens, uh what where can our listeners find you? I know you're on Twitter. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh I'm also I have a website in which you can find me on my work, uh Um yeah, those are the two places that I'm mostly awesome. at. So you Great. can find me there. Awesome. All right. So this is Glisten. This is a part of our show where we uh, just highlight things from the week. Um, I'll start first. Uh, my Glisten this week is my food processor. I just got <laughs> a food processor. It's a small three cup, but man, is it useful. Um, I've been making a lot of bruschetta, pesto. I mean... It's been really fun um, and just something I've been wanting really long time based on just watching a bunch of cooking show Instagrams and stuff. <laughs> uh, and also I've been doing this new thing where I write three, three to like five jokes a day because I think I don't I Ooh. think sketch comedy I feel like sketch comedy isn't coming back y'all <laughs> so I was like I think maybe this is a great time to uh, start doing open mics even on Zoom for stand-up so yeah that's what I've been doing cool I'm really resisting the urge to be like Sarah tell us a joke no no, (laughs) okay okay Sam all right I'll go next so um I just moved to Boulder and I am so excited about the fact that this city collects compost which I know is very common um on the west coast but I've never lived in a city before where the, they just pick up compost separate from trash and recycling. And um, listen, if Boulder can do it, where bears walk down the alleys and turn over trash cans, then anyone can do it. So <laughs> I think there's no excuse for all these other cities not to be collecting compost. It's amazing. Cool. So, yeah. So, Caridad, what's your glisten from the week? From the week, um, I read uh, Kay Tempest's new play, Paradise, which Ooh. is an adaptation of Philoctetes. It just opened at the National Theatre in London. Uh, I'm a big fan of Kay's uh, and their work. Um, so uh, they're one of those writers that I... Uh, you know how those writers or musicians or people in the world who are just kind of like, you hear their stuff or you read their stuff and you're like, makes me want to write or makes me want to do things. Kay is one of those people for me. Um, so, yeah, so it's just tremendously inspiring to be in the presence of their poetry and, and to kind of dig into it and the dare of it, the dare of it. Philoctetes is a hard play to begin with. <laughs> Um, and to take it on and to do it with such uh, gusto. And uh, yeah, you can just feel their brain on it, you know, full bore, like excited about interacting with uh, the source material, but also, you know, turning it into a new way. Some really 
cool stuff with the chorus that they're doing. Um, oh, awesome. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's very inspiring. So I'm just like, yay. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to our show and just talking to us and sharing your experience and writing and life. It's been amazing. Yay, it's been such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.